keep a flexible mindset. And I mentioned this phrase before, don't be married to your strategy. Don't be married to a specific belief. Set, hmm. set deadlines and tripwire. So, you know, go forward and, and set, be, be open to reassessing your strategy at different points. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with, uh, with us to chat. Now, today we have another great guest, as always, uh, Steve Hafner, and uh, Steve... Um, Went to high school, couldn't decide what he wanted to do after high school. He had a kind of a, a love for writing and performing and theater, um, but decided with all that love, rather than do that, he went and got a computer science degree, spent 30 years in the IT industry. And uh, after a while of uh, being in the IT industry, he got into kind of a, a hobby, which was magic and really decided he loved magic. It was fun. And he was going to start to do this as start out, I think, as a side hobby. And he can correct me. And then kind of trying to, or turned into a full time gig So start out kind of doing charities and birthday parties, um, wondered how he, if he could make a living this, how he would make a living this. Uh, so one day he was uh, going into work and decided sitting in the uh, the parking uh, parking lot and he heard a song and he'll let us or let us share a bit more about that decided to quit go all in and uh, doing the the magic uh, and doing trade shows and corporate events and everything else and then also had to sh uh, shift a little bit or pivot a little bit with covid so without stealing too much of your thunder or giving too much away welcome on the podcast steve thanks Devin. it's great to be with you so I gave kind of that brief high level, you know, run through, but take us back in time a little bit to being in high school, loving reading or writing and performing and kind of take us on your journey. Yeah, sure. So I was, you know, a little bit of a introvert and, uh, and I found that performing was really, really fun and a way for me to, you know, let myself out and kind of, kind of get out of that shell a little bit. So, so, and then, and then I found I really enjoyed doing it. So, and, and, and creative writing was something I always did ever since I was a little kid, first learned to write, I loved writing little poems and songs and short stories and stuff. So, so, you know, those, those are creative arts types of endeavors and areas. And then as, as you mentioned, I went into computer science because it was the, the safe and the secure route. And, uh, and I, I did like programming because it's, it's, it's like a puzzle taking one mm. thing over here, trying to get to point B and how do you solve that problem? And, complete that puzzle. And so, so programming was fun for me. It wasn't really my passion, but that's, that's what I went with. And, and I had a successful, good career in so IT. Now, one question on that, because that, you know, 30 years is a long career. Did you go and work for one company over that period of time? And, or did you work for multiple companies? Did you always do um, software and programming IT, but give us a little bit of an idea of what you did over those 30 years. Sure, sure. And, you know, I started, I started as a programmer, basically, and it was a, the term that was used was systems engineer, but I was basically coding specs that other people gave me to start off. And then I got into a systems analyst role and then had a number of other titles. And, and then I actually became a vice president and was a business analyst later, but I worked for six different companies over my career, the mm. longest being 12 years, I believe, the shortest being nine months. So and with all those, and that's, you know, that's a pretty good spread from uh, years to months type of a thing. But, you know, within that, 
did you was it kind of always programming similar type of thing and then did just different companies or did you kind of go was it and was it always a big company that you worked for was it a small company or kind of what were kind of those ranges of it yeah and 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 that was was a big range so um you know i i morphed along the way as far as my role and going from programming so I, I worked for big companies. The first three or four companies that I worked for were always big, huge companies. Mm. And, um, and I, I decided, and, and the one I was working at at the time was the one I was only there for nine months. And I decided I, this is not a good fit for me. And, um, you know, and sometimes I would, I would shift jobs because I wanted to develop. I wanted to learn more and grow. Um, but this one I knew wasn't a good fit. And the one that looked the the job opportunity that looked the most lucrative to me at the time was with a very, very small company. I think they had about a dozen employees. Mm. A little nervous about getting in with a company that small, you know, you think what what are their odds of survival? And you know, mm. but you know, but I realized you don't get any guarantees no matter what size the company is. You know, they could reorganize or they could downsize. You you just don't know what's going to happen. So um, yeah, and that's interesting. Complete a side note, but I've I've had a lot of these similar conversations because I I started with my wife. I started Miller IP Law about three years ago, but before that, I worked for I worked for some smaller firms. I worked for some very large firms, top one hundred firms in the nation, and I was always kind of had the conversation with you know I don't know that I feel any more secure with with the big corporation versus a small one in the sense that either of them still have layoffs. You know, it always feels safer with a bigger company, but they still have layoffs. They have a down round or down quarter and they let people go. And to a large degree, you don't you don't even know as much of what, about what's going on with big companies because you don't get to see the day-to-day of how things are going or are things starting to go downhill or are they staying uphill or kind of how those are going. So I always can completely agree with you on that sentiment that there isn't necessarily more security with just because it's a bigger company. Right. That's so true. And, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've been a witness to downsizing. Ha- happily, every time I left a company, I left of my own volition. I was never let go or fired, but I mm. definitely, you know, saw it happen. So, but it turned out that this small company that I worked for was the best. It, that's the one I worked for for 12 years. Mm. So that one followed that quick nine month stint and, uh, and it was fantastic, but, you know, things are always changing. Company ended up getting bought out by a bigger out-of-state company, mm. culture changed, and it just, you know it was just unfortunately not a good fit anymore. During that 12-year period, I changed from the tech side to the management side. So mm. I had because it was a small company, the, um, uh, the the product line that I was working on, I ended up taking the role of the lead of that product line, and I was the manager of that product line. Then we actually became a vice president of the company. Um, and then when things, you know, changed so much and it wasn't a good fit anymore, I, I left and, and went with mm. another group. And, and I took another job business analyst in a claims department of an insurance company. And I'd never worked in claims before. I'd never had that kind of role before. So that was something new too, to me. Well, this company had one contract and it was with the U.S. government providing mm. insurance for their armed forces, retirees and, uh, and family members. Sure. They always got the contract. It got, it came up for rebid every five years and they always got it. So they'd had this for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Then they hired me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like a a year after I had got on board and they, you know, bid for the contract and they lost it. And that was the point 
I had already been thinking for years about, oh, I would love to start my own business. And mm. there are, I love magic. I love entertaining kids and, you know, and there's, there's a market for it. We had one or two successful people in our, in my area that were making a living at it. And I thought, you know, this is not a saturated market. Um, mm. So I'd been thinking about it, you know, for a long time. It wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. So on that, cause I mean, so 30 years in the, the software industry and doing those things is a long period of time. And a lot of times, you know, people get to the end of 30 years, they're starting to think towards retirement, not a second, you know, almost a second, especially a big jump or a difference in, in changing what you're doing. And so as you're kind of thinking was, hey, I'm, I've been enough, done enough in the software industry, I'm secure enough, and now I want to go take my chance, or it's just, hey, I'm burned out, fed up, want to go do it, or I always want to chase my dream, or kind of walk us through a bit of, you know, a little bit more in detail or a bit depth as to how you kind of said, okay, I'm done with this job, I'm, I know I've been thinking about it for a while, and I've got to do something else. Sure, sure. Well, it, it, it was that morphing wasn't a great idea for me, the shifting or pivoting from the technical side into the management side. And I thought that was better for my career at the time, but I really didn't enjoy it. And then going to work for a company that was, you know, in a role that was completely new to me in a, and in a domain, you know, insurance claims that was completely new to me. I had a lot to learn and I came to the realization, you know, I really don't have this deep desire to learn this stuff in depth to, mm. to the point that I need to, if I want to become great at this. You know, and that, that's what you always strive for is you want to do, be the best you can be at, at whatever it is you, you decide to do. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I had talked to my wife about it, the boss <laughs> before. The co-boss. I always like to say it's a co-boss, but yeah, no. Good. Right, right. You know, and I, I didn't just come home one day and say, mm. I quit and now I'm a magician. <laughs> I had run that by her, you know, prior, but I still mm. wasn't sure what I was going to do. And, and yeah, so I was sitting in my car one morning, you know, my, in the parking garage, ready to go into work and, and um, just agonizing over this decision. What am I going to do? You know, this company mm. lost the bid. So everybody was thinking, well, we got to find other jobs. And that voice of wanting to start my own business and going to magic was gnawing at me, so to speak. So, but I knew it was dangerous. It was a recession. This was back in 2011. And, um, you know, I had a mm. good, strong, high paying career. I had a family, I had two young kids. And, um, and then I heard that song on the radio you mentioned, and I'd never heard it before this mm. weird thing. I've never heard it since on the radio anyway. And, uh, mm. so the only time I've heard it on the radio was that moment and, um, sitting in my car and the, some of the lyrics said, you know, uh, there comes a time when you have to ask yourself, where am I going? What have I done? Are you taking the rules that you've been giving or breaking the rules with your own decision? Isn't it time you tried? And it may sound silly that a song affected me this way, but it was that catalyst, that push, I guess, that I needed. And I'm like, that is absolutely right. And I had this wave of relief and emotion that hit me at that moment. I'm like, okay, mm. you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this risk and and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it's, it's time to go for it. So walked into my boss's office and said, I quit. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yep, I'm quitting to become a magician, you know? So um, he was very supportive and said, you know, he wished that he had a passion that he could make a living at. And so he could bolt the corporate world as too, as well. And so that made me feel good, you know, because I got a lot of, 
uh, when I told family and friends and colleagues that, that I was making this move, I got a lot of funny looks and are you sure, you know, are you going through a midlife crisis and that kind of thing. So I definitely had doubters. Mm. So one, and one question on that, cause and you touched on it a bit is, Hey, you know, you've got a good paying job, you know, it's in the software industry and that that's generally always in demand, you know, programmers and, you know, and people that can code are always going to be, or people that are in demand, especially the, the way that technology is going, it's getting, you know, more competitive, not less. And so how did you say, you know, a little bit, I can't, and you can definitely improve. I would, I would be worried, and I'm sure my wife would be as well. That if I'm going into magic, that's not going to be as high a paying. It's not going to be as easy to find work, and it's going to take a whole lot more time and effort to build up clientele or even figure out how to position yourself. So, kind of with that all going through your mind, was it just, hey, I've, I've got to do this, and I've decided to make the jump. And yes, I may take a decrease in pay at least for a period of time, but I'm going to be a lot happier. Kind of, how did you grapple? Because I think that's what a lot of you know people do is you get into a career for a period of time you're doing well, you're being successful, you're making a good income. And to go out on your own, to start your own business, to chase after your dreams type of a thing is is one that's a bit scary because you're, you're worried you're not going to have the same income and how you're going to afford everything. So how did you kind of balance or grapple with that? Yeah. And it, and it was scary, certainly. And that's why it took me so long to push myself to make that decision. But because I had that long career, I was able to put money aside, you know, so I had money put aside for retirement. Um, I calculated, let's see, how much would I have to make? How much revenue would I have to get in order to get back to the level I am right now, you know, my last job and, you know, accounting for benefits and that kind of thing. And I, I came up with a number and I thought, okay, well, how long will it take me to reach this number? But my, I, I set a tripwire or a checkpoint. And I said, mm-hmm. if six, if six months goes by and I have not made a dent in this in this market, you know, uh, and I am not getting, getting business and not heading in the right direction. I didn't expect six months, I was going to be up to that level of income, of Mm. course. But, you know, I'm, I I did set that point to, to, to check, reassess, Mm. you know, and, and, and I did, and I felt like I was making good progress. So, um, Mm. but, you know, um, it was scary. and And you do have to get your, uh, your family's, buy-in with it because you don't you don't want to do something that has that big of an impact on them or potential impact on them without you know actually talking it through and communicating and being transparent about it first so Mm. yeah but and 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 this is something that i would recommend to everybody is don't be married to your beliefs or don't be married to your strategy Mm. Uh, be willing to adjust set checkpoints and I like the term tripwires along the way that you're going to assess where you are and whether your strategy was a good idea. And if, if you need to adjust it, if you need to completely change it, but if you, if you tie your identity to that strategy, it's going to be really, really hard to change it. Even if you need to, you know, so, um, and here's an example of that in my career. So I was, you know, growing my business, starting with doing different kinds of kids shows and then getting into festivals and fairs, mm. wanted to make more. So I got into corporate entertainment as a mentalist. And that's mm. a, that's a branch of magic and mentalism that is more psychological illusion rather than the visual magic. Mm. Um, and adults really like that. Um, they, they react better to that kind of entertainment a little bit better than to visual magic, but um, I really enjoyed the mentalism side. And, and uh, so I knew there was a lot more money in the 
corporate entertainment world than there was just in doing schools and preschools and fairs that had limited budgets. Um, so, so I went into that, had a little bit of success, not as much as I wanted. Mm. And I pivoted into trade shows. So this, this, this saga for me was, was an interesting one and it lasted a year. So mm. what companies will do is, is hire, okay, first of all, they're, they pay tons and tons of money to have a booth at these big trade shows, right? These big ones that are in Chicago and Las Vegas and New Orleans and, and big industry shows and they have to be there basically um, because their clients will wonder what's wrong. Are they, mm. are they hurting if they're not there? You know, what's going on with this company? So they mm. have to be there and it's, they're not going to get a good ROI on their big investment, that trade show, unless they can attract leads to their booth. And so they will have different types of entertainment or strategies for getting people into the booth. And one mm. great way to do it is hire a magician and the magician knows your product you know, your, your messaging, your branding, and incorporates that into their entertainment. But the people walking by, you're giving them entertainment, and then they have this inherent human desire to give back, to reciprocate. So they will listen to the salespeople. They'll, you know, put, spend a little time in the booth because they were entertained. And it draws a lot of leads, and you can qualify the leads that way. It's a great marketing strategy for trade shows, but it's a mm. tough sell. Hmm. You know, marketing directors just, uh, they have a block thinking of magician in my booth. No way. It sounds like a too gimmicky. It's a sideshow. It's, you know, doesn't align with our brand. And so, so it's a tough sell. And to reach people who are having booths at trade shows, I had to do a lot of cold calling hmm. and I hated it. I don't yeah. know if there's very many people that really love cold calling to, to give the give a fair, you know, but no, I think that's interesting. So, you, you know, interesting how it a bit evolves, right? So you start out with kind of charities, birthdays, and probably, you know, the issue with that is you either have to do a ton of them and it's always trying to find them and you had to build up a lot of clientele and word of mouth and reputation, which is first hard and second takes a long period of time. So, you know, then you pivoted almost to kind of the, the corporate side and the mentalist tried to do that, you know, directly. And then trade shows sounds like it was a bit more fruitful Avenue, um, but still had some work to go. And then, you know, almost bringing it up to kind of almost today, then you had, you know, finally started, it sounds like when we chatted a bit before and based on what you're saying, had some success, started doing the trade shows, getting a bit more, um, you know, clientele and people are doing it. And then you had COVID hit. So kind of now you've, you know, you finally feels like you've started to figure things out and pivoted enough times. And then you have yet one more reason, you know, another thing that necessitates COVID. And I'm sure that a lot of events all across the board, whether it's, you know, the film industry is hurting, the, you know, the coaching industry is hurting, the, you know, all of the events, live events, you know, theaters and performers and music so how did you kind of when you hit that what did you what was the kind of how did you pivot to that or how did you adjust or are you still figuring it out sure and well i should mention there was one more pivot in there so when i had decided i was going to do trade shows i had set a specific date it was june 30th it was the middle of the next year so i was giving myself a year to build up that business and you know i was still doing my other kinds of of shows but i said okay you know if i have not made the progress that I've wanted to make in trade shows by this date, then I'm going to go into speaking. And I had mm. done a little bit of that, but you know, I had discovered that, that um, trade shows were a tough, were a really tough sell and I'm not a natural salesman. So that, you know, doing all that cold calling was soul sucking. <laughs> um, 
And I found that even corporate entertainment's a tough sell because all of the groups and associations and companies that I reached out to that were having events, most of them, largest, the, the vast majority of them did not have entertainment. They didn't even have an entertainment budget, but they did have education budgets and they, mm. they wanted entertainment, but in the form of a keynote, mm. you know, or, or, or other kind, uh, other kind of speaking, you know, breakout sessions, whatever. So mm. I'm like, aha, you know, and uh, so I had this whole idea of how to, my knowledge of illusions from magic, how I could transform that to help people kind of de-illusion and, and all the, all the things that can trick us in a magic show also trick us in our every, everyday lives and decision-making those types of mental processes. So, so that's what I decided I was going to go into with speaking. So that's what I have been doing for the last four or five years, four to five years. And then COVID hit. All I was doing at the time was in-person speaking. Now, a lot of speakers have, they do training, they do coaching, they have online courses, they have books they sell. I didn't have any of that. All I had was in-person speaking. COVID hits, wipes it all out, right? And when I say wipes it out, some of my gigs that I had lined up were delayed, some canceled, but they kept me for 2021, and some eventually went virtual. So um, trying to think if I actually lost any altogether. I didn't lose any altogether that I know of, but you know, if something gets pushed off to 2021, then you're losing that income for 2020, mm. right? And on top of that, when I'm reaching out and doing my prospecting for 2021, more than half of the groups, and it's usually associations that I reach out to, that I speak to, more than mm. half of them that said, oh, we're keeping, we're retaining our speakers from 2020 hmm. because they didn't have them. So we're keeping them for 2021. So they weren't hiring speakers. So it was really difficult to get new speakers at that time. So, you know, I had to kind of reassess and, um, you know, I, what I, I came to the conclusion or, or the awareness suddenly that speaker isn't really a profession. That's not really who I am, what I am. And I gave myself the title decision performance expert or specialist. I, I have this content, this insight, this perspective that I can offer that can help people perform better. Speaking is just one way to deliver it. Hmm. You know, so, so it was more like a product line rather than rap than my whole identity. So I've been making that shift and, uh, you know, I'd trying to develop uh, other revenue streams, you know, developing an online course. I've got two books I plan to release this year. And um, so, and, and even the pivot to virtual was something that I'm still, you know, I'm still growing in that area. I'm still learning and growing and getting better at it because I had never hmm. done a virtual presentation before you know so and it is a bit different you know it, it it does have a it's it's hard to engage the audience in the same way doing virtual performances as it is to do um you know live performances in the sense that you know a lot of times and it's almost you know whether it's magic it's presenting it's speaking you feel you feed off the audience a bit right in the sense that you can gauge if they're involved if they're if they're enjoying it if they're laughing if they're not or if they're completely tuned out and you can adjust how you're performing 
but with with a lot of virtual stuff you can't gauge that nearly as much it just makes it so much harder so i definitely feel for kind of filling that out and now as you know kind of follow up that kind of brings us up to a bit till today and now looking to the future a bit where do you see the next kind of six to 12 months headed for you mm-hmm. well i do think see things are starting to open up i'm starting to get more uh more inquiries and and better uh, responses to my outreach, you know, to to events that are coming up in the fall, people are pretty optimistic that they're going to be able to have in-person events, um, you know, e- even in the summer. So a couple of mine from last year have pushed a couple of times they've changed, their, you know, the date that they're going to have their event and mm. uh, and they're, they're planning on having them this summer. So things are opening back up in that arena also. But, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm developing an online course. I want to have other, other venues for delivering my content to people and, and, and helping people. So, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty optimistic going forward. You know, I think, um, I think, I think we're going to have this COVID thing licked after all, maybe mm-hmm. not permanently. I think it's always going to be with us and, you know, things will never go back to the way they were hundred percent for sure. But, um, you know, the next thing for me is, getting adapted doing hybrid events. So being on a stage, but also having to present to a camera as well. So you're doing two audiences at the same time. Mm. You know, and that, that's gonna, going to be more of a thing. And I think that not even in this transition period, you know, f- from coming out of COVID, but even going on well into the future, I think hybrid events are going to be, are going to be the thing. Hmm. So. No, I think that, you know, it's, oh, it's, it'll be interesting because it's, it's a bit of an unknown. And I have a little bit of the conversation on a, a bit of a different topic. But what does it look like for just remote, you know, kind of office employees in the sense that are they, are they, you know, will it stay remote forever? Is that a good circumstance or is it one of necessity? And, you know, you ask some employees, oh, I love it. But on the other hand, is it the best or best circumstance to get, uh, you know, to be effective and to be able to actually get your work done and to be able to interact and collaborate? I think it's a bit to be determined. So it'll be an interesting time to figure out. And I think that, you know, some people will probably go back to normal. Others will be a hybrid model. And some of them, some things are, are maybe here to stay based on the, you know, that they were good changes in the first place so it'll be an interesting time to tell well as we as we start to wrap up and there's always a lot more things that we could chat about than we ever have time to chat but i always ask two questions at the end of each podcast so maybe we'll jump to those now so the first question is along your journey what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it (laughs) i would say it was and you know is this a decision the question is and i talk about decision performance is is not doing something a decision is not making a decision actually a decision and my my not and i would say yes and and in this case it's when i was talking about not diversifying enough you know not Mm. having other modes of delivery of my content prior to COVID. of course i couldn't anticipate the pandemic hitting and nobody could or that Mm. it would hit then i mean Mm. some people like bill gates had talked for a long time about there's a pandemic coming at some point we got to be prepared but there's no way that I anticipated all anything was going to shut down the speaking industry, you know, mm. but if I had diversified more with the way I can deliver my content, then I would, you know, I wouldn't have had, it wouldn't have been such a huge disruption to me at the time. And I think it would have made the transition a little easier. 
Mm, no, and I think that's, I think it's an interesting to take, you know, there's always kind of two trains of thought and, you know, who, who wins out, it kind of seems like it depends on when you're, when you look at it, you know, one is that you should diversify and have different, whether it's revenue streams or different products or services you offer such that if one takes a downturn and doesn't kill the business. And yet on the other hand, if you do diversify, then you can sometimes lose focus and you don't, you know, you're not doing anything great. You're only doing some things okay. And so it's always that balance of when, what, how do you set up the business to be, robust enough to be able to weather the storms and yet also focus enough that you don't um, die on the vine from lack of attention type of a thing. So who knows where it's going to end up? You know, it's, it's always interesting. And it seems like that there's a lot of possibilities. I think that there's, it'll be interesting. You can also, you know, if it opens up opportunities now that, you know, maybe previously weren't where if it does stay that hybrid model or the virtual or things like that, maybe you don't have to travel as much or you can reach a broader audience or people will become more accepting. So I'm just interested to tell, but I definitely agree that figuring out or, you know, how to be prepared as much as you can for the future and, and how to diversify is a, is a great way to go. Second question I'll ask is, um, now if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would say keep a flexible mindset. And I mentioned this phrase before, don't be married to your strategy. Don't be married to a specific belief. Set, hmm. set deadlines and tripwires. So, you know, go forward and and set be be open to reassessing your strategy at different points say okay if the you know if this if this happens or if on this date uh, um you know i'm not to this level or i don't have this many customers i'm going to take take a deep look at why reassess what's another avenue that might open up a bigger market for me um there was a study. I've I've been reading a great book by Adam Grant. It's a new book called Think Again, mm. and uh, it's all about rethinking um, and people being flexible, you know, intellectually. Uh, and so, so he talked about this study that was done of over a hundred founders of startups. So they had this training for them. None of these startups had made any money yet, and they had two groups, and they both had the same training except one group, what had a focus on the scientific approach of treating your strategy as a theory mm. and you know do robust measurement of it along the way um, um you know re rethink it um treat it as a theory that you're trying to to prove or disprove mm. so it's not like you're trying to prove yourself right you're trying to get to the truth and that's what scientists do and that's the kind of approach I think that we should do with our businesses, because in the year following this study, the group that took the scientific approach and was more open minded and more flexible cognitively, they made a lot more money than the other group did. And they they did it faster and they attracted customers faster. So hmm. um, so, yeah, so I think that's something that you really have to have to keep in mind. And, you know, we we have this idea that we want to go with, you know, most people who start their own company, you know, what, whatever the reason is, they've got an idea that they believe in and that's great, but mm. keep that belief loose enough that you can adjust it. No, I think that that that's definitely, you know, having the ability to, and a lot of times you almost call pivot, right. In the sense of ability to be flexible, to analyze things, take things in and be able to figure out how to adjust is definitely one that it's, it's essential for any startup or for any industry. 
Well, as we wrap up, if people want to find out more, they want to be a client, a customer, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, they're a corporation that wants to hire you, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you or find out more? And I'm always looking for new friends. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, you can reach me at at my website. All the goodies are there. It's stevehafner.com. So S-T-E-V-E-H-A-F-F-N-E-R. They can, I'll just mention two things that are out there. I've got a a free ebook called seven strategies for making great decisions. Mm. And I have a weekly newsletter called cognizance. So it helps you learn more about what's going on in our minds and how it affects decision-making. All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out, find out more, hire or hire Steve if uh, if you're looking for a great uh, corporate entertainer that also can provide a lot of wisdom and insight and uh, definitely check everything out. So, well, thank you, Steve, for coming on the podcast. It's been fun and it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to have you on um, as a guest and for you to tell your story. So just go to um, inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the podcast. Also, if you're a listener, two more things. One, make sure to click subscribe if you're in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find out about the podcast as well. Last but not least, if you have any need for uh, patents, trademarks, or you need any, have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help. You just go to strategymeeting.com. So thank you again, Steve. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you, Devin. Good luck to you and all your endeavors as well.